Church, I'm, I'm really grateful this morning. Um, before we go any further, uh, as, as some of you may know, our, our worship director is, is in Saudi Arabia on a mission trip. And I am so honored as a church that God is so faithful in bringing people who have who've stepped in and led our worship so beautifully. Uh, and I just want to give Jillian and the team a hand this morning. Um, yeah. Yeah. I am very grateful. Uh, I want to start off our time with a very weird question. Um, how many of you know what an autoimmune disease is? Most of us, most of us. Um, so an autoimmune disease is a, is a complicated, interesting thing because uh, I'll put the definition up here. It's a disease which the body produces antibodies that will attack its own tissue, leading to deterioration and eventually to the destruction of, the, of itself. So in other words, an autoimmune disease is a disease where the body attacks the body. The body attacks itself. Uh, there are several examples of these types of diseases. One uh, common is rheumatoid arthritis, right? In, in this disease, what happens is the, the immune system will release um, antibodies that will attach to the joints, right? And then over time, those cells from the, the immune system will attack the joint. So what you have is body attacking body right? Uh, your body is attacking itself. Now, I want you to hold that in your mind this morning as we walk through this text. And my hope is that it'll make sense. If it doesn't make sense, you just got a, a little science lesson on what um, autoimmune diseases are. But hold that in your mind as we walk through this morning. As, as you saw, we're going to be in James 4. Uh, it's been an incredible time as we've walked through. If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. We're going to camp out here most of our morning together. And again, I want to just, before we go further, um, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, I want to give you one. Uh, we have on that back table several hardback black Bibles. Uh, and what I want to encourage you to do is as you are leaving, if you don't have a Bible, grab one, take it, read it, mark it up. It's yours. There's no strings attached to this whatsoever. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, now you do. It's back there. So on your way out, grab one. Um, let's walk through our text together this morning. Let's start in, uh, in verse 11. Uh, James 4.11, James starts by saying, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Simple, right? Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. So speak evil, this is the word that we get our word slander. Okay, so it's speaking evil against each other, oftentimes behind our backs, but it's, it's the idea that we have for, for slander. Uh, and notice who James is addressing. It says, brothers, this is a within the family uh, address. So he's talking to us, and which is weird because Christians don't slander, right? May, I mean, maybe they did back then. They struggled with that more, but um, he's talking here. And if you remember from last week, uh, James was fired up. Uh, uh, Thomas did a phenomenal job last week walking through the first section of chapter 4. Uh, and what you saw is James is a little bit fiery 
in this. So Thomas talked about pride and humility. He talked, it was kind of a call to, to repentance. And in that text, do you remember what James calls his people? It wasn't my brothers. It was you adulterous people. I told you, he's fired up. At least in our text today, we're back to being brothers again, uh, which, is, which is nice. Um, but it's important to understand the context that he's speaking to. It's not an out there kind of thing. Uh, this is an in here kind of thing. Does that make sense? Um, because you might, I mean, think about it. You might expect, church, to experience slander out there, Right? You might expect that out there, you're going to have people that talk behind your back. Out there, you're going to walk through difficult situations where, where people have brought something against you that you didn't know. You can expect that kind of thing out there. But James says, church, let that not be the case here. Let that not be the case here. Brothers, don't do that. Because our relationships, the way we treat each other, should be distinctly different from the world around us. And here we should be about something different. It makes me think back, and we're going to reference this a couple times, of Jesus' words in two places. First, in uh, John 13, uh, Jesus says this. They said, he says to his followers, they are going to know that you're mine by your love for each other. So the way you treat each other, that's how they're going to know that you belong to me. I think of another place where Jesus gives us what we call the great command. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Um, The great command, if the great command, and it is, to love one another, then church, slander destroys our ability to do that. It destroys our ability to do that. Slander destroys our ability to fulfill the great command. And he says, brothers, do not speak evil against one another. Let's, let's continue on in our, in our, in our text. Uh, he says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges of, or judges the law. But if you judge the law, You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, let's unpack that. If you speak against your neighbor, uh, you speak against the law and the judges of the law. And according to our text, who is the judge? It's God himself. God himself. So when we speak Against our neighbor, we speak against our great judge, God himself. Um, so I want to stop, and I want to ask some, some questions. If we look at this honestly, what does that mean? What does that mean? What do we do with that? First, I want to, continue, I want to talk about what it means, but I think second, just as important, we need to talk about what it does not mean. So let's start with what it means. James says, uh, when you place yourself in the role uh, uh, above your neighbor, right? You place yourself as a judge and you are no longer a doer of the law, but a judge over the law. James, in, in many ways, is putting us in our place just a little bit. He's putting us in our place just a little bit. Here's what I mean. Throughout this series, so we've been in James for, for 11, 12 weeks now. 
throughout this series, we have said often, we are called to be both hearers and doers of the word. Be hearers and doers. That it's not okay to simply just come and hear, 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 and do nothing with it. But we are called to be hearers and doers. Notice, James does not say to be hearers and judgers. Never says that. It's important because when we start to step into the judge role, we stop, according to this text, being doers of it. And he says, no, brothers, you need to be hearers of the word and doers of the word. The, the Lord is the judge and not you. The Lord is the judge, not you. Uh, he is both the giver of the law and the judge over the law. The Lord is that. We are called to be hearers and doers. I think of it um, like there's two categories. Okay, we have on this side, we have the giver and judge. And on this side, we have the hearer and the doer. Church, this is our side. This is God's side. Whenever we get those confused, we get ourselves in trouble. And here's the reality. God doesn't need our help being judge. God does not need our help. He's not called us, hear me, he's not called us to be his law enforcement. It's not our job. He's not hiring for that. We are not called to be his law enforcement, his law cops. And let's take it a step further. It's never okay to impersonate a cop, right? People get arrested for that. You don't want to do that. Too often, we go around impersonating cops. Too often, too many of us go around impersonating cops. And so my question is, why do we do this? Um, better question maybe, is why have we always done this? Like James is talking to people over 2,000 years ago, and they're doing the same thing. They're struggling with the same tendencies that we are. Here's the reality. If we're honest, it's so much easier and so much more comfortable to deflect judgment onto others rather than shoulder that judgment for ourselves. And I think that's why we have this tendency. Um, I think of the scene in the Gospels when, when Jesus is talking about being judgy. And he says, um, you're, you're so concerned about that speck in your brother's eye. And you have a log coming like out of your eye and you don't see it. I think of that, that text here because it's far more comfortable to focus on other people's stuff than it is our own. And just to be honest, I mean, as a pastor, this is a huge temptation. I mean, I, I could spend all of my time and energy trying to shepherd well and care for and think of people the way that they're maybe call out some sin that I see help people in any way I can. And I'm so focused on specs, specs, specs that if I'm not careful, I can have a plank coming out of my eye. And this is, this is so, so much of a temptation. And the truth is, is that it gets a bit uncomfortable when we place ourselves under the law because our planks start to show. Our planks start to come out, and we can't ignore them anymore uh, when we stop impersonating an officer. Um, this reminds me of something that happened to me a couple weeks ago. Uh, so I was doing some grocery shopping. My favorite grocery store is right down the street. It's at New H-E-B. I love it. But in my opinion, it has a weird parking lot like really weird parking lot because there's all these random one ways. 
Like, I don't know if you notice. If you know that grocery store, I guarantee you know what I'm talking about. There's all these random one-ways that you don't know they're one-ways until you turn in them, and then you realize, wow, this is narrow, and arrows are pointing at me. Like, you, they don't mark them, like, at all. Well, one day, I was, I was going. I forget what I was getting. Uh, it was just me, and I pulled into the parking lot, going the right way. Let me just say that. I was going the right way. And a few cars ahead of me, there was a lady that was coming down the wrong way. Um, this lady was mad. She was fired up. Like, uh, you, you looked through her window, and you see her, like, hitting her dashboard and hitting the, the steering wheel, and she's pointing to people, like, move. What's wrong with you? This is, why aren't you sharing your, why aren't you taking more of what is yours? And she was getting all upset, and she was just fired, fired up. Um, you feel bad when you see that, because all these people she's yelling at, they're totally in the right. Like, they're just looking at her like, what do you do with that, you know? Um, just yelling. I think too often we're a bit like the angry lady. Too often we're a bit like that angry lady, that we're so bothered by other people's stuff. We're bothered and frustrated by what looks like blatant sin in other people, and we're so upset about it, and we get fired up, and we hit our steering wheels. And sometimes we don't just open our eyes to realize, I'm going down a wrong, one way. Sometimes we're a lot like this, this lady, and the call here is to just, before you lash out, Take a look and see if those arrows are pointing at you <laughs> and you're going down the wrong way. Um, our role is to submit to the Lord, to be a hearer and a doer of the word. Um, now, if you happen to think that you were that lady at HEB, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't have to come clean. You just gave me a perfect example. So anyway, it could happen to all of us. Um, so that's what it meant right? Um, that's what James meant by it. I want to talk about what it does not mean. Uh, I've heard this abused. This text has been abused because you, you start to think, does this mean that we can never call out sin? Does this mean that we're never okay to open our mouths and help someone or be accountability for someone? Does this mean we're never okay to kind of come alongside, help them up to maybe rebuke, maybe correct when the time is right? Is this text calling us to keep our mouth shut? To answer that, um, I want to look back on what we've already looked at, which is the words of Jesus when, when he said, Love each other, love your neighbor as yourself. I want to look back at that other in John 13 that says, Hey, they're going to know your mind by the way you love each other. I want to look at that um, because the question is not whether or not we're supposed to call out sin, the question is why and how. Why and how? Um, we call out sin because of love. Because love demands that we do something. It's like when I walk in and see my little boy with a fork going into an outlet. It would not be loving to keep my mouth shut. It would not be loving. In fact, love demands that I open my mouth and I intervene there. It's because of love that I step in and I intervene in that way. We're not a law cop. We're a people who care deeply, who love deeply, and those are two very, 
very different things. Two very different things. James is not calling us to remain silent. In fact, James here specifically in our context is talking about speaking evil against each other. He's talking about slander. Um, He's not calling us to be silent. Here's the point. I I heard... um, I've heard this question asked by several people. Uh, Several pastors have used this question. It's such a simple question, so I don't think anyone can own it. It's so simple that I think it's public knowledge at this point. Um, But it's so simple, so profound, but I think so important for us to answer when we walk through this text. And that is this. I'll put it on the screen for us. What does love require of you? What does love require of you? Going back to the example with the fork in the outlet, what did love require of me to do in that moment was to step in. What does love require of you? So consider your life right now. Consider your relationships right now and ask the question, what does love require of you to do? For some of you, love requires that you step in. For some of you, love requires that you open your mouth. For some of you, there are people in your life that are on the brink of hurting themselves greatly and they would listen to you. And God is using you to maybe open your mouth and to step in because of love. For some of you, that might be you. You may be required to speak, but for others of us, love might look differently. Love might look like patience. Love might look like patient prayer and love and support. What does love require of you? Here's the interesting thing, though. The answer to this question will never be slander. Like, there will never be a time in a situation where you say, what does love require of me? I got it. I'm going to slander them. That will never be the answer to this question. So what does love require of you, church? Like in your family, with your kids, in your relationships, in your office, let me, in our church, what does love require of you to do? What does love require of you? Because according to Jesus, they're gonna know our authenticity. They're gonna know that we are his, because we ask that question and we answer it well. Like that's how they're gonna know. So what does love require of you? So we're called to place ourselves under the word, to be hearers and doers of the word and to realize that God is the one and the only true judge, that God is the only judge and that we're called to love each other well as brothers and sisters in church. Slander destroys our ability to do that. Slander destroys our ability to do that. And I want to just consider this, and I'm sure some of you, some of you have seen this firsthand. The price of slander is high. The price of slander is extremely high. How many friendships have been wrecked by this? James is dealing within the body here, so let's ask more specific questions. How many have been driven away from church because of this? I don't want to know the answer to this question. It would, I think, wreck me. How many have been driven away from church because of this? 
How many church leaders have been driven from their positions? I've said, I'm done. I'm calling it. I'm calling it quit. Driven into discouragement. Driven into question their even identity. How many church leaders has been driven out because of this? Uh, More than that, I'm a pastor's kid, so let me push a little deeper. How many of these leaders' children have been driven away from church, period? They're done. They've seen it, and it smelled, and they're done. They don't want anything to do with it. Slander has an incredibly heavy price to pay. I read a a quote. Um, It was about this passage, and it was presents us with kind of a sobering question, and I want to ask it uh, to us. It says, is this price, so the price that we just talked about, is this price, is this a price we are willing to pay in order to enjoy the delicious feeling of cutting a brother or sister in Christ? Is this a price we are willing to pay in order to enjoy the delicious feeling of cutting up a brother or sister? Or sister in Christ. In light of that question, uh, I want to mix things up a little bit. I want us to jump into, I want us to look at uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. Now, you can turn here with me. We're going to be here a little bit. I'm just going to read it to you. If you want to hang in James, we're coming back to it. Uh, But I want to look just briefly and what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, and we're going to start in, in verse 12 together. It says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. We see with the ear, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Because if the whole body were an eye would be fun. Um, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single mem- member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. I don't have... I have no need of you, nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. You see the way these work together. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, 
but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now, at the beginning of our time, the beginning of our time, we started off by talking about autoimmune diseases, right? Um, church, slander is the autoimmune disease of the body of Christ. Slander is the autoimmune disease of the body of Christ. When body attacks body, member attacks member, attacking itself, deteriorating itself, eventually destroying itself. Slander is our grand autoimmune disease. And James is saying, church, don't allow yourself to destroy yourself. Don't allow yourself, your body, to destroy itself. Instead, build each other up. Be hearers and doers of the word. Love each other. Each member is important, and each member is valuable, and no member deserves slander. And I want to end with this. I want to look back at our text in James just for a moment. Um, in verse 12, uh, James 4, 12. Um, regardless of what you've been told, um, regardless of, of what you've gone through, regardless of the way your perceived identity has been shaken by what other people have said, regardless of how you've been attacked or hurt in your past, there is good news in Christ because in verse 12 it says, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. Here's what this means. All of those people who have issued judgments over you, all of those people who have slandered you, all of those people who have attacked you, church, there is one judge who is able to save and destroy, and it's not them. They are impersonating an officer. There is one judge. The question today is not what do those people who have judged me or slandered me think about me or say about me. That's not the question. The question is what does the judge think about me and what does the judge say about me? Here is the truth. Um, God is the only one and just judge. We stand here, all of us have, have sinned, all of us have messed up, all of us mess up continually, all of us get this wrong, every one of us. The Bible tells us that, but here's the deal, the Bible just tells us what we already know about ourselves, that we, we know this. And the reality is, is that the Bible uh, tells us that the wages of that, the wages of that, what is earned for that is death. We've all sinned, and the wages of that in death is death, and God would not be a just judge if he didn't deal with sin. Let's bring this on a human level. Uh, if we had an earthly judge, and all this judge did is free guilty people, I don't want that judge in our community. That would not be a good judge, because sin needs to be dealt with. In the same way God is just, he hates sin. 
Don't hear me wrong. He hates sin. He is perfect. He is holy. He will judge. And he's the only judge that matters. So what do we do with that? This is why the good news of Jesus Christ is so good. Without that, it's just kind of okay news. But with that, this is the best news that we could ever be telling each other. Jesus took my sin my punishment and the wrath of God toward my sin in punishment. Jesus took that on himself. Jesus took that. And perfection, Jesus' perfection was then given to me. So follow me here. Get this. The righteous and perfect judge, the only judge that matters, the righteous and perfect judge, looks at me and declares me to be innocent declares me to be innocent, and he is completely just in doing so because of the work of Jesus Christ. He is completely just in doing so. So, church, we come to God through Christ. We stand forgiven because of Christ. Through Christ, we have an answer. Through Christ, we can be made right before God, and that's the good news. That is the good news. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus this morning, I need you to hear me. Regardless of your past, your identity is secure. Your identity is secure. No matter what slander you have endured, no matter what evil things have been said about you, to you, behind your back, regardless, there is one judge And he has declared you perfect through Jesus Christ. Now, um, you're a son. You're a daughter of God. Now, you have purpose. Now, you have identity. Now, you answer to that one true God. And now, you're a member of the body of Christ. If you're here and you have never known Jesus, if you've never come to him and all of this news has turned a light on in your head, I want to pray with you this morning. Would you bow your head with me? God, together in this room, um, I confess, I feel wrecked as I even preach this. Every time that I I think about what you have done for me, it it just, I never get used to it. God, in this room, I, I pray that through your spirit, you are working on our hearts and on our lives right now. That if there is someone in this room who have never made a decision to accept the good work that you have done on their behalf, that in this moment that their heart is softened and that you realize that it is because of God's grace, because of your grace, the work of Jesus Christ, that we stand forgiven. God, help us to love you and love people. It's as simple as that. God, continue to speak. Help us respond to you in these moments as we sing 
And as we stand and as we worship, help us to continue to respond to what you're doing in our hearts in these moments. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.